Today, as we get into the message, I, I, I prepped for the beginning of this message by looking at some of the statistics for specifically Lee County in regards to what's the condition of our county? Like, how are we doing in regards to violence and crime and things like that? And it's not a real encouraging endeavor to go on when you start looking at police statistics because they track a lot of probably really important numbers because you can look through the years and see, okay, here's how many murders happened in Lee County. Here's how many assaults happened. Here's how many that happened with a firearm. Here's how many that happened with a knife. Here's how many that happened with hands, feet, and fists. And here's how many that happened with other. And other is kind of a weird category when you get into this, because they, there's just a recognition that you, you have no clue how someone who is angry will use anything to hurt someone else. Uh, like, it, there's a Wendy's drive through where someone apparently had a problem, and they decided to take a three-and-a-half-foot alligator and throw it at the poor person working on the other side of the window in Wendy's. These are things that happen in Florida, all right? I, and, and I'm sure every state has their own thing, but at least most states, you don't have to worry about someone getting upset and throwing an alligator at your face. Like, there, there's, if you're introverted and working at Wendy's, life is probably hard enough, but then when you're like, you won't believe what happened to me today. And, and the Florida man stories, I mean, I, I know there's whole blogs dedicated to Florida man stories. Like, we just don't ever know what's going to happen in our world. It's a crazy time that we live in, and there's all different kinds of ways that issues pop up, whether it's face-to-face, online, on the street, driving along somebody who just woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. We know that difficult and, and traumatic things can happen at any moment, and this is the world that we live in. And really where we're going to start off today is we're going we're gonna to look at the condition of the world for just a second. Because when we, we're, our main theme today is the church. Like we're going to look at the calling, the responsibility, the scriptural dis, like image of the church. But first to understand our mission, I think you have to understand the condition in which our mission is lived out. And so one of the conditions of the world that Jesus gives and describes is in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 through 14. And we'll put this up on the screen. And this is Jesus speaking here. And he says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Jesus pointed out that the road that has traveled to destruction, it is wider, it is bigger, and it is more frequently traveled. There are more people in our world today that are hurting and in destructive habits than those who are in healthy habits. And we know that on lots of different scales because for us, it's a whole lot easier to be out of shape than in shape, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's easier to get that way. It's kind of harder to live that way, but it's easier to get that way. It's a lot easier to find yourself addicted to a substance than to stay clean in this world that we live in. It's a lot easier to ruin a relationship than to keep it healthy. And I want to say that within balance because in all the things that we understand, the natural gravitation that we have to destroying things in our life, it's like it's easy to, to live in these habits that will be destructive, but it's not easier for your heart to live that way. Like it's easy to be addicted. It's easy to be out of shape. It's easy to spend unwisely. It's easy to fall into those habits, but then you get to the end of the month and it ain't so easy. You end up in jail for the the habits that you had, and it's not easy anymore. 
You end up in isolation because you've destroyed relationships with the person that you loved and the family members that you cared about. And you didn't say the words that needed to be said. You didn't take the actions that needed to be taken. And you find yourself alone. And it's not easy. They're both, they're both can, can lead to, they both have points of easiness and difficulty. But the road that is traveled the most is the one that goes towards destruction. And specifically, Jesus was talking about in the things with your relationship with God. And he identified that right at the beginning that there are going to be few people who pick the narrow gate, the narrow road. And most people are going to take the broad road that leads to destruction. And this is the world that you're going to live in. And so first of all, I want to say that if you are looking for our culture and our world to be a source of inspiration to you all the time, it's not going to happen because most people are going to take the easier of the two options. They're going to take the broad road. They're going to do things that are destructive to their relationship with God, destructive to their relationship with other people, because it feels like in the moment the easiest thing to do. And so our inspiration for how we live our life, it can't just be drawn from the community at large. It needs to be drawn from the person of Jesus Christ. It needs to be drawn from his teachings about how to navigate this life. And he says the, the way is going to be narrow. The way that leads, for life, leads to life. And so when we look, we need to understand we're looking for the pockets of people who are taking the narrow road, and we look at the way that we live, they live because the condition of the world at large is not going to put you on the right path. I want to compare it to this. I heard this question asked on my, on my feed. It was some video. Someone's trying to be funny, and they asked someone a question, stuck a camera in their face to make them nervous, and said, quick, tell me how many countries are in the USA? And the person kind of stuttered, and they're like, oh, I don't know how many countries. And they're like, you know, it's one. And I'm like, now I'm an argumentative person, and I think about questions a little too deeply sometimes, and I understand that, and you guys are get subjected to that because I have the microphone. But when someone says, how many countries in the USA? Well, I'm like, how many embassies and consulates are in the USA? Because technically, when you stuck, step onto an embassy's ground, that is that nation. Like, they're there. And so I looked up the number for, for your benefit, but I'm, I'm, I'm never following. 177 different nations are represented in the U.S. So I'm like, your answer was wrong, person with the camera who thought you were smart. It's not just one. We have 177 countries that are here on the continental U.S., right here. And when you step across that embassy line, you are now in a territory that is governed by their laws. And the same thing's true. You go to other nations and you can find the U.S. Embassy. And as soon as you cross into that, you are now considered to be on U.S. soil legally. All right? And, and the church, though we exist here in this nation, I want to tell you, we're supposed to be like an embassy. The whole world might live by a certain set of laws. But here within the church, we understand we are governed by a different set of laws. We, we are governed, we are citizens of another nation. And I hope you get involved in politics locally, locally and honor God in the way that you do it. I hope you speak up for what is right and true in your community and, and that you are involved in those things. But I hope you never forget that your first citizenship is as a citizen of heaven. The citizenship that matters the most is the fact that you belong to Christ. That you are adopted into his kingdom. And that goes far Beyond whether you're a Democrat or a Republican or an Independent or a Libertarian, your, king, your, your citizenship is, as a king, is in the kingdom of heaven. And as someone here in this church, you understand the way that we're going to live is not, is not by what the culture tells us to do because the culture is generally on a road that is tracking towards destroying relationships and living far from God. 
as a citizen of heaven and as someone who is connected to this church, we understand we're going to live by the principles and the commands that Jesus set up. And that might make us look different than our community. That might make us look like we're taking a different road than other families are taking. It means we might have to make some decisions that our teenagers are going to hate. And they don't understand it for this time. They're going to say, everybody else does it this way. Our kids will say, everybody else is allowed to watch this show, watch this movie, to do this, to talk this way. And it doesn't matter. Everybody else might be on this road, but this is the road our family's going to take. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. And, and, and so we, we understand we're going to live differently than the society around us. And as the church, we understand we're not going to look like everyone else. We're going to look at in a few different passages in Matthew today. And so if you have your Bible, you can also open up to Matthew, flip over to Matthew 16. I want to read you verses 16 through 19, and we'll put these up on the screen as, as we read them. And Simon P., Jesus had just asked the question, who do people say I am? And he was asking his disciples and his followers, who do people say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Now listen, Peter, in the language that Jesus was saying, Peter kind of sounded like pebble. And so there's like a, a like, or stone. And, and, and so there's a play on words that Jesus is doing when, when he says, you, you know, you're Peter, you're a stone. Like you're, you're someone that I'm gonna build this on. But he says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will, build, but I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now this passage is interesting for a couple different things. And, and the, the statement that Peter makes about his faith in Christ, that, that he says that you are the Messiah. Like when, when Peter makes this statement, Jesus then calls Peter this stone. He says, you, you are the stone. And he says, and then on this rock. And, and it's interesting separate and theologians will argue about exactly what this means about Peter's authority and leadership in the church. But generally what is believed, what Jesus is saying is that statement that solid statement that you made, with no wavering that, that you're, you're the Messiah, that you're God's chosen one, the statement of faith that Peter made, he's saying, that's what my church is gonna be built upon. Not just Peter himself. And, and, and then he goes into this thing about the gates of hell. And at least in our culture, we don't talk this way, and I don't, maybe your mind immediately understands when it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't think of gates like moving very much, personally. And so there's a cultural thing that I want to make sure you understand is it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gates were actually one of the meeting points of leaders and communities. Uh, when there was armies getting together, they would meet at the gates. When, when there's th those who, who were the Pharisees or the Sadducees, they would often meet by the gates as the meeting point. And that's where major decisions would be made. And, he, and he's saying all of the plans that, that are made from hell, none of them will prevail against you. Gates are also the point where armies were, would be released out into battlefield and they would leave the gates. And so anything that pours out from hell against you guys, none of it will prevail. And so in this passage, this is actually the first place that we see in the New Testament where the, the term ecclesia, where church is used. And, and he says, on that statement, on that proclamation, on that rock, I will build my church. That, that statement will be the foundation for my church. It's the first time that we see the word uh, ecclesia or ecclesia or, or there, there, there's other ways that it's pronounced and there's other words that form from it. We have the term eclectic. 
that, that we use, and it, and, it, and it has that idea of a lot of different things coming together. Ecclesia, all it means is the gathering. And I want to start there because whenever you read church in Scripture, the word that you're, you're reading is actual, actually ecclesia, or we say ecclesiastical if it's talking about things of church, theological words. But I, 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 wanna, I, I went there for a minute just because I want you to know every time that you see the term church, we think buildings, we think steeples, we think pastors and children's ministry and youth ministry and all of this organization. But every time you see the word church, it means the gathering. Because the church that Jesus was saying that he was going to build, it was the people, not the building. It wasn't the legal entity of the church, but it was the individual believers who would be so committed to the commission, to the calling, to the purpose, and to each other that the church would change the entire world. I mean, I don't know if you've ever sat and pondered that fact that Jesus' life and death and his teachings they were all entrusted into the hands of the church to pass on to generations, to reach absolutely every single nation. So we, just for um, map's sake of today's message, the condition of the world, we, we understand the condition of the world is a rough run, but, uh, is a rough one, and then we have been given a mission. We've been given a commission by Jesus to build this church on that statement of faith, and, and he gave us what, is, what we refer to as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And he said, and this is Jesus teaching the disciples, and this is after Peter's made this confession, and Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we have a commission. The church, we have a purpose. Leave that passage up there on the screen for a little longer than normal for me today. Jesus' instructions to, the, to his followers was make disciples of all nations. And to be a disciple is to be someone who's receiving the teaching that Jesus gave. It's someone who understands my calling that as I receive this joy that is only found in a right relationship with Christ, that I am bringing this to other people. The church, our mission is not to fill up the seats just to have people present. Our mission is not to build buildings and bigger buildings and acquire more land and more stuff. Our mission is to make disciples. And the first place that you have to start is in your own heart. It has to start with you. It's not just about being present. It's not about giving. It's not even about finding a place that you serve. It's first of all, is your heart so in love with God that you said, I, I don't want to choose anything else above you. You have to be first. You have to be foremost. It is, are you a disciple of Christ in your heart? Do his teachings guide the way that you live, even if it means financial loss, even if it means social difficulty? Have you reached the point in your faith where you say, I am a follower of Christ no matter what the cost is? And until you reach that point, you, you've got to continue to seek after God, ask questions. If, if there's doubts, then seek after him and he will provide the answers but once we reach that point where we say, okay, my heart is him, then it's our household. We have to pour our faith into our household, the people that God has given us for these, these days, these years. Our faith should be poured into them. And then it looks to our neighbor in our city. We have to understand that our calling, our, our faith just, this is, what, this is the, the nail that I'm trying to hit right now. 
Your faith cannot be lived in isolation. Your faith cannot just be lived behind closed doors. Because the best summary of what it means to be a follower of Christ is someone who is living out the Great Commission. I I am someone who will go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And then the promise, the beautiful point that's attached there, as Jesus says in his presence, that that he will be with you to the very end of the age. I'm going to press into that as the church, as the followers of Christ, we have this great commission that we have to live out. And Jesus provided absolute clarity on the importance of our actions matching up with our inward beliefs. Because this is a huge disparity in the world of faith. People who say, I believe one thing, but my life shows something completely different. And so we're not going to put these up on the screen, but if you're a note taker, you can go and check these out later. But to just give you a few of the examples, in Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16, he gave the example of of a vineyard owner who was calling people into work. And no matter when they came in in the day, no matter how long they worked, he wanted them all to get to work in the vineyard. And if they got to work, they all got the same payment, but they only got paid if they worked. Matthew 21, 28 through 32, it's a parable of two sons. And Jesus said, it's, let's compare this to two sons. You have one son that you, you ask them both, go work in your vineyard. One says, I'll do it, dad. And the other son says, I'm not going to do that, dad. And then the one who said, I will do it, never does it. And then the son who says, I, no, I don't want to do that, dad. He says, he thinks about it more. He's like, I, I need to go work in my dad's vineyard. And then Jesus asked the question, which son will the father be pleased with? The one who said, yes, I'm in, then did nothing, or the son who said, no, I'm not in, but then actually did the work. He said, obviously, it's the son that did the work. Matthew 25, Jesus taught the parable of the talents, three different servants who were entrusted with a great amount of wealth, but one of them did nothing with it and gave back what he was entrusted with. And Jesus said, what I gave you is even going to be taken away because you wouldn't even try. You wouldn't even try to do something with what I entrusted you with. And Jesus pounds into this message throughout his teachings that the way that we live matters, that we have this brief window of opportunity to share the message, to make a difference, to love our neighbors. We have this brief opportunity and we will have accountability for the way that we lived. Believers in Christ will have accountability for if they ever lived out the teachings of Christ. And it's my, it's my hope, it's my experience, it's my expectation that within the church, 90% of what our church accomplishes in our city won't be formally organized by our church because each one of us have an opportunity on a daily and weekly basis to do something in the name of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me explain that a little bit more clearly. We do things like, like we, we have service days, or we have cleanup days, or we go and we help at the volunteer elementary school or different things in the city where we say Gulfside Church is going to do this and that's one way that we serve but I want to tell you it's my expectation that that 90% of what our church has accomplished is being accomplished in in families like like a family in this church who's like God's put it on our heart to adopt and we are going to adopt a little girl who needs a home and we will do whatever it takes to get her here. Uh, I believe the kingdom of God is being uh, accomplished in families in our church that are like the foster care system needs our help, and so we're going to be involved in it. Or ministries like Better Together that's keeping kids out of foster care and people who are, who are providing help in that way. 
There are people in our church who are feeding hot meals to the homeless people in North Fort Myers. And it's not formally organized by the church, but it's because the teachings of Jesus Christ have taken root in their heart. And they say to themselves, I have to find a way to live this out. There are those of you guys who bought gas for somebody who needed help in a difficult situation. Just recently, we had a family that needed help. It was a single mom household that needed some help. And we had guys who were like, we'll, we'll go and we'll install the washer and dryer and we'll get it running because that's what the church is supposed to do. And we find these different ways. And I want to affirm to you, if you've never stepped into that area of life, if you felt like you needed the church's permission to do something nice for someone else, you have the church's permission to do it on your own. You don't need a vote. You don't need our hands behind you on it. God has enabled you, empowered you, and we are supposed to be looking at at my job. How can I serve someone else in the name of Christ? In my neighborhood. Man, you guys may not realize this because, like, I, I, despite the fact that I don't like to talk in front of other people, God has given me a gift of teaching, and so I appear very extroverted. I'm pretty introverted, actually. And yeah, some people laugh at that, but it's true. And so I understand those of you guys who are like, I want to get home and shut the door and shut the blinds and hide from people and just enjoy <sighs> nothing. All right? I get you. I do. But especially for the introverted, introverted folk like me, it means a lot when you say the kingdom of God and the message of Jesus Christ matters so much that I'm going to get my barbecue out and I'm going to throw some burgers and dogs on at Labor Day and I'm going to invite my neighbors to come down. Or I'm going to sit in my driveway and we're going to drink some cold beverages together at the end of the day with some of my neighbors and I'm just going to hang with them. Like It it means more. Being introverted does not give you a pass on the Great Commission. All right, There there are no excuses. It is calling that the entire church has has to bear, and I believe that it should be fueled by the fact that we say, God's love is so powerful, it's so incredible, it's transformed so much in me, I can't deprive my neighbor of an opportunity to hear it, and God has so positioned you perfectly in other people's life to be the vessel of that communication. And what scripture and Jesus' teaching affirms time after time after time is we are accountable to grab a hold of these opportunities. We are responsible to plant the seeds of the message and watch them harvest over months and years. We are not responsible for forcing a decision in someone's life. We are responsible for sharing the truth in love. And so we have to find find those places because that is our mission, that is our purpose. And the way that we do that, the way that we live that out is both individual and as the church because we are collectively the church. It's not just the organization on Sunday morning, but it's us all throughout the week. And, and the Apostle Paul gives this description of the church in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 that I wanna, I wanna study for a little bit before we close up for today. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, we'll put this up on the screen. It says, so, and he's describing the church and using this illustration as a body. And most of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians is talking about that, but I wanna narrow in on a small point. And it says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is part of it. You're not excluded. You are part of the body of Christ. 
And the Apostle Paul is using this illustration, and he's speaking to a diversity of people, and what he's trying to answer, he's like, there are some people in the church that they felt like because they didn't speak or they didn't get to be in front, that they didn't really matter at church. And he's saying, no, you don't get it. All of the parts, it's like a body, like, like the eye can't do what it needs to do just on its own. If the body was just eyes, it wouldn't be able to accomplish its purpose. It's hands and it's feet and it's mouth and it's all of these pieces that have to work together to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ. And each one of you are are incredibly significant. And so don't minimize the role that God has given you within the church. If your role here is being part of the prayer team, understand how incredibly important your role is. If your role here is greeting people as they're coming in and they're stepping into church for the first time asking, does anybody care here that I showed up? Is there any love and compassion from people here? You have to answer that question and answer it well. If your role here is rocking and praying over babies or speaking the message to kids in language they understand, understand the importance of planting those seeds of the gospel in their life at an early time and don't minimize it because your role isn't this. Each one of us has a role to play, and when you separate, when you, when you tear yourself away from the body, I want you to know it's going to end up hurting you, and it's going to end up hurting the body, because we need to be so close that if you're hurting, I'm hurting with you. We need to be so close that if you're rejoicing, I'm rejoicing with you. And if you've been living in seclusion, you haven't been experiencing that. And there's probably a call in your heart that's saying, I should not feel alone like this. And that is a call that God has designed in there to direct you towards getting connected to other people. And so if you've been feeling that pressure, then listen to it and get connected because you cannot live this faith and this calling out by yourself. And it is a beautiful thing. We love to see it work. I mean, just even as I was giving you a few examples of people who are, you know, adopting kids and, and installing washers for families that need it and help, you know, people who are cleaning up yards and donating money and, and making a difference. You're like, yeah, that's great. But if I ask you, when, when's the last time that you were so close to someone that you would have known the need that they had? You're like, ah, I don't like people. <laughs> I'm going to... Begin to wrap it up with, with this illustration of the story. And Ben, you guys can make your way out um, as I close up. We'll compare it to this. Uh, this is a story from the Midwest. Uh, and there, there's a man who had um, gone to church for several years, but he pulled himself away. And he was, he was an introverted man, a quiet man, and the pastor wasn't much different. But the pastor, after a couple years of this man being gone from church, he decided, I'm just going to show up and go and knock on his door. And as soon as he saw his pastor, he was like, oh, I know what this is about. Didn't say much, just opened the door because he knew he'd want to come in. And so they went and they sat in front of a fire that was burning. And it was one of those kind of standoffs of like, who's going to talk first? Both of them were hard-headed. So they just sat there in silence for a long time. Nobody's saying anything. Seeing who's going to crack first. So the pastor not being willing to give up, just stood up out of his chair, grabbed the, the tongs from the fireplace and grabbed one piece of wood out of the fire. And on, on, on the hearth stones that are before the fireplace, he took that one piece of wood and he took it out and he set it down in front of the fireplace. And he sat back down in his chair and for 20 minutes they watched as that fire continued to burn, but that one solid piece of wood slowly went out. 
First, it burned okay on its own for a while, but then the flame subsided. And once it was reduced to just a little bit of smoke and almost nothing, the pastor stood back up and grabbed the tongs and put it back into the fireplace. And almost immediately it caught back on fire. And the flames were whipping off of it and it was once again reunited. Pastor sat there for about five more minutes and as good Midwesterners did, he slapped his thighs and said, well, I ought to get going home. And the man said, Pastor, thank you for the message. I'll see you at church tomorrow. Pastor said, sounds good. And he left. Wonder if you caught the message. We know when we're removed from other people who are on this narrow path, it affects the way we see the world, it affects the way that we see people, it affects the way that we see ourselves, and it affects the way that we see God. One of the foundations for us to live this mission out, one of the foundations for us to achieve what God wants us to do in the city is for us to understand the importance of being in fellowship, in community together. You were designed to be part of a church. You were designed to be part of the body of Christ. You were designed to be part of this gathering of believers who gets together to encourage and spur each other on towards love and good deeds and to go out and live it in the community. So I just want to today encourage and challenge. And I also want to ask a question. Have you been coming to the gathering and just sitting? Or have you been coming to the gathering to see God stoke the fire in someone else? Have you been coming here with the recognition of like, I want my faith built up and you come here looking for it? Because I can promise you this, at our church and any other church, if you want to go looking for problems, you'll find them. If you want to go looking for things to celebrate, you'll find them. You'll find what you're looking for. And if you are looking to grow in your faith, you'll do it here. And the challenge today is to say, okay, what does it mean for me to be connected to the church? What does it mean for me to, to belong to a body? How is God going to use you? Because he wants to use you. And you have a mission that you need to live out. Let's pray together. God, would you just convict our hearts? Would you give us joy about the fact that we have a calling? Would you stir up just the, the, the comprehension that we have to do something to make a difference? Because your love has transformed our hearts and our minds so significantly that we have to be part of getting the message out. And so give us, give us a vision for what needs to be done. If it's inviting neighbors over, if it's adopting, if it's being part of foster care, if it's providing meals for those who need it, whatever it is, stir us up and don't give us peace until we chase after all that you have for us in this life. We thank you that we get to be part of a calling, part of this movement of your gospel in Southwest Florida. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we worship?